नमस्ते एंड वेलकम आई एम जैनील दलाल एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू द डिजाइन एम बी ए विच इज अ रियल लाइफ एम बी ए फॉर डिजाइनर्स यू विल लर्न हाउ टू लॉन्च अ साइड हसल एंड लेवल अप योर डिजाइन करियर फ्रॉम इंटरव्यूज विद रॉक स्टार डिजाइनर्स टूडेज अमेजिंग गेस्ट इज बिली ब्रॉस हु इज अ मैसेजिंग एक्सपर्ट एंड वर्क विद ऑन्टरप्रनर्स टू रियली हेल्प दम फाइंड द राइट वर्ड टू सेल दर प्रोडक्ट्स And if you go to the Design MBA website, designmba.show, you will see that Abhinav Chikara, who runs one of the top online design schools in India, Billy actually coached him too. So we're really excited for the show, Billy. Welcome to the show, man. Super excited to have you. Hey, Janiel. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, where are you based right now? I'm in sunny San Diego. Oh, nice, nice. You came back from Mexico. Yeah, back from Mexico. Yeah, man. Yeah, my um, my in laws live down there, so uh, I go down there pretty frequently. Well, you you speak Spanish or pick that up now? Working on it. You know, growing up, <laughs> learning languages wasn't a big deal, and I took Latin of all things, which isn't too useful. And this was uh, in Virginia, where there's just not a lot of Spanish spoken. But um, being in San Diego, and um, yeah, now having the uh, family from Mexico, I'm picking it up, but slowly, slowly. That is amazing. Um, I don't know that much of Spanish, but I know like a little bit basic, like estoy aprendiendo español. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> learning, learning Spanish for everyone, those who are listening in. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of curious to know, man, that um, Billy is a child. Was Billy always into marketing, or or what were some of the interests that Billy had when he was a child? Mm, I wouldn't say marketing at all. I would say inventions. I was really into technology. Um, ventures, companies, startups, things that were cool things that cool people were doing in the world. I was really big into Popular Science Magazine. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know that one? I know that one, yeah. Yeah, my dad would get it. And uh, and so I would read it whenever he would get it. And I would only read the front and the back. So I would read the front because that section was what they called, I think it's called What's New. And it was all the new inventions, all the cool gadgets coming out. And that was really interesting. And then I would read, I wouldn't really read the, the articles, but I'd read the back because that's where they had the classified section. And I thought that was really interesting too because they would sell some crazy products back there. They'd always uh, be selling uh, something like, um, oh, what do they call those things? Like gyrocopters, these helicopter kits that you can build and you can fly them on your own. So it was cool oh, to see yes. that. I remember that section. It was so fascinating because it was like this mini inventory of all these cool gadgets you could buy and you had to like mail in that request or something. Yeah. So studying that, and that, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was marketing, that was copywriting. And so those, it's kind of interesting. Those two things hooked my attention, the science and technology side of things and the, the business side of things. And that really that carried through through the rest of my life till this day. Wow. And then once you... Like started so, and then after that, what was your uh, journey like after college? Like, I, I believe you joined a, a big company, right? You joined a corporation. It was actually a small company. It was a fifteen-person company. It was a, a small engineering firm specializing in clean energy. So we worked on a big clean energy, renewable energy, energy efficiency projects, things like wind and solar, that sort of thing. Wow, and during this whole time, you still had that itch to have your own venture and do stuff on the side. Always, yeah, I always had that, and um, and I, I scratched that itch somewhat through this company because it was all very new stuff—the things that we were working on. 
technologies like cellulosic ethanol was cutting edge. So it certainly scratched that itch. Uh, the problem I was, was I was doing it within this organization. And again, uh, a small one where I really felt my growth was limited. And that's what eventually led me to do my own thing. And that own thing initially was that, um, what was that own thing? Like, I, I believe you started a, your own small beer brewing um, um, course or website. So how, was that while you were still working at this small company or was that you after you left the company? Tell me a little bit about that. I started that pretty early on in the company. It, it oh, wasn't, wow. uh, yeah, I, I remember the first day I got that job, which I was very excited about. But I remember sitting down at that desk the first day. I already got in the tour. I gotten up to speed on everything. So it was time to just sit down and get to work. Yeah. You know, for the rest of my for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you I, had I, a I, I No, no. I I actually had a pretty nice office. Yeah, it was a a, a small office in um wow. uh my my college town, a beautiful town, Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, Northwest Virginia. Um, so it was a great office. I had a had a big desk. It was a I mean it was a really great career. And I love the people I was working with, but I remember sitting down at that desk and thinking, yeah, my time is limited here. <laughs> oh my God. And, and how did you get that? Like you just sat down in this like brand new desk and this amazing office at such a young age and you're sitting down there and you get that feeling. What led you to that? Was that like something you felt like you look up around and you're like, oh my God, like this for the rest of my life. Like walk me through that feeling. Yeah, it was more just knowing myself. And just knowing that I was going to get that itch and that that just couldn't, that office couldn't contain me and my, my interests, even though it was probably the best thing for me. And, uh, and, and looking back on it. Why do you say, why do you it, say that? Why do you say that was the best thing for you? Well, I'll do air quotes, you know, by societal standards. Yes. Right? Makes sense. You get, you got, you got the job. It's a great career, great town, great people. Just be grateful, put your head down yes. and, and do the, and, and do the work. But I was like, you know, so like I, two voices. One Billy was like, yeah, do that. Follow that path. You worked so hard for this. The other one was like, nah, you know yourself better than that. You're not going to stay here. Wow. I get that a lot. Like a lot of times, um, it's like a tough balance. Cause like even my parents would be like, Hey, you know, you've got a lot of folks and you know, I'm from India originally. So there'd be like, look at like some other of her friends and family who would be really like fortunate to even think about being in your shoes. So there's always that Think about like, oh, don't like think too much. Just be grateful for that. So it's a, it's a very good balance between like, oh, I can do more and then also being grateful. So when you had that realization, what led you to like say that, you know what? I think I love beer brewing. Let me do something with that. Yeah. So I got in, I blame Tim Ferriss <laughs> and the four hour and the four hour work week. And that book came out at the, I'm sure you and your listeners know that book. Yep. Uh, that book came out at the perfect time because I graduated college in 2007. I think that's when the book came out or maybe 2006. So it, it hit me at the perfect time. And I read that and said, okay, well, this is my escape route out of here eventually when I want to. And, um, and what he essentially recommends is, and what a lot of other people were recommending at the time, because the internet was becoming real big and running an online business, they said, well, do something you're passionate about. You can, you can build a business around your passion. And I said, well, what am I passionate about? What are my hobbies? And I was really into beer brewing at the time. Got into it in college with my roommate. I really geeked out on it like I do on everything. Uh, read every book on it. Started making my own recipes, built my own home brewery, entered competitions. 
uh, studied and became a certified beer judge, like all in wow. on it. So that was the obvious answer. It's like, what am I going to start a website around? Beer, craft beer, and more specifically, brewing your own beer. Oh my God. And the funny thing is, um, with Tim Ferriss being mentioned here, that's one of the reasons also like I, I got into the podcast world because I was like, you know what? Um, when I was starting the Design MBA podcast, I was like, initially, like I had some weird names like The Hustle Show or Hustle with Jay Neal and like all these things. And I realized like those have already been done by folks like Tim Ferriss or Oprah, but there is something lacking for the design or the creative space. Um, and especially the combination of design and entrepreneurship. And that's where I like, okay, this is a niche space. So funny you mentioned Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And the thing about beer, I got to be full disclosure. I personally don't like beer. Don't take it, <laughs> don't take it hard. Um, no offense. But when, when you say beer brewing, like I'm assuming that the beer that comes out of it is just like much better tasting than the ones that are just like sold off the counter, like Corona and all these other big brands. Well, it really came on the heels of the craft brewing movement or what was formerly known as the, the microbrew movement. And so we're brewing these, not many people are brewing uh, Corona at home, which is actually a tough beer to brew. It doesn't have oh, a lot okay. of flavor, but it's, it's a tough beer to brew because it's so uniform. All the bottles taste exactly alike. And that's really yeah, tough. Yeah, exactly. Uniformity. Yeah, but no, I mean, I was brewing big IPAs. I was brewing stouts. I was brewing German lagers. I was brewing fruit beers. I was brewing sour beers. There's a ton of different beer styles. And so, uh, so that's what I would teach. Yeah, brewing those types of beers at home. And then you decided that, okay, you want to make a website about it. But how did you know that, hey, there's even like a demand for it. There's even like a customer segment that would be interested in this. Like, how did you know that? Hmm. Good question. Well, I got into social media pretty early. Uh, Facebook came to our college fairly early because they started no out with, co with colleges. Yeah. So my, we got Facebook my freshman or sophomore year in college. So I was exposed to, and, and you know, there were all these groups on there, these pages, these niche. So I, I realized you can find these niche audiences. And actually my first idea wasn't to do uh, a beer blog or beer courses. I was going to build a social network around beer. So kind of like the Facebook for craft beer. Oh, so like make like a group or a community of people who are passionate like you. Yeah. And this was big at the time. Everyone saw the success of Facebook and everyone said, oh, well, why don't I build the Facebook for X, right? The, the Facebook for dog owners. So there was a time, I guess it was around the same time, 2008, 2009, where niche social networks were very big. Um, however, I realized that it was a real tough thing to build a Facebook, like the technology it's yes. tough to build. I was trying to build it myself and that wasn't going anywhere. And then I reached out to some companies and they were charging 30, 40, $50,000 to build something very basic. I didn't have that kind of money. So, um, and then what happened was it turns out that these niche social networks didn't do very well because you just have the groups on Facebook. You have the dog owners group on Facebook. You have the beer brewers group on Facebook. So that's when I really discovered blogging. So I went from the social network idea into the blogging idea and then the blogging. So I started doing that and that had some success. I was on Twitter pretty early. I was on Twitter in 2008 and there was a large craft beer community on Twitter and that provided a lot of my early traffic. That and blogging provided most of my early traffic for that website. And through that website, you said that, let me just make a course on this. Yeah, so after a year or two of blogging and 
building on my traffic and building an email list. That's when I said, okay, well, let me try to sell a product. And online courses were becoming a thing back then. I took a program. One of the main websites I followed to learn all this stuff was, and they're still around, Copyblogger. And they had a course, it was, this was 2009 maybe, called Teaching Sales. And it was a, a course on how to teach online and make money from it. So I took that and shortly after that, launched my first beer brewing course. And yeah, that was it. That was off to the races. Oh my God. This is so amazing because while most people like read books and which is cool, they take courses and stuff, you actually learned a lot of the fundamentals, nuts and bolts of marketing by actually having your own course, trying to sell it. Like really like you learn by doing it. Totally. Yeah, it was all hands on. And I was having a blast because I, I, I like all these different topics. I've always been like that. Going back to popular science, reading that magazine with all these different topics. My major was called Integrated Science and Technology, and it was a combination of about five or six different disciplines. Uh, so in beer brewing, yeah, I, I like beer. I love craft beer, but it wasn't even so much about the beer. It was about all the different things I learned within brewing beer. You learn about chemistry, you learn about biology, you learn about yeast, you learn about metallurgy for the, the pots that you use. So I saw building a website as the same thing and, and this business as the same thing. It's a hundred different disciplines in one. One of the main ones being marketing, uh, which I always had an, an interest in and I got my MBA to help out with that job, um, but I did not learn this kind of marketing, which is more sales and uh even negotiation, more psychology, not so much what they teach in the MBA classes, the, um, the finance, the accounting, the management theory. And it's, this is an amazing segue because I'm just thinking about when you're going through your MBA and they kind of like, I think, walk you through all these big case studies as all these jargons versus here, you're trying to sell this course to people, to humans. And your yeah. copy or your language has to be like human friendly, I would say. Um, so what was that learning like for you? Like, Hey, instead of like just speaking in vague terms, like having a clear copy or the power of copywriting that resonates with people to sell your products, like what was that aha moment like for you? Yeah, I think I always had, I, I always sort of wrote that way in a more conversational style. It got a lot of red pens in school because that doesn't work when you're writing essays in English class. They don't like that. Nope. And then, uh, and it was difficult for me to write the, the, to do the type of writing I was doing in that clean energy job because it was all technical reports that we were writing. I was writing, we were writing 120 page technical reports for the Department of Homeland Security. It's like, there's not a lot of room for personality in that kind of document. Right? Absolutely. So I would do that during the day and then go home and write an article about this new beer that came out that's 11% alcohol and made with these crazy hops, right? So that's a very different type of writing. But I was more suited to that, uh, the second type of writing. And that's really what copywriting is. It's, uh, it's a conversation in print and a, uh, and a persuasive conversation. It should lead to an action, not necessarily a sale, but an action, and then eventually to a sale. I'm literally just like stopping myself and thinking about that. The copywriting is basically a conversation in print. And if we extend that, copywriting is a conversation in the digital era. Like it can be anywhere. It can be social media anywhere, but it's like a conversation that leads to some kind of action, whatever that is for that person. Exactly. Yeah. 
Wow. And this brings me to some another quote that you um, shared with me when we were having just our, our, our own uh, conversation. You said, marketing, if viewed that way, is also a sales at scale. Yeah. And I found that to be such a profound thing because you can have people that are really good at selling or convincing you one-on-one. But that also has its own limitation. But then you say that marketing is basically sales at scale. Explain that to me a little bit more in detail. Yeah, well, if you think about it, a long time ago, our ancestors, they, they weren't really doing marketing. They were doing sales. The, the setup, it might have looked something like a, a modern-day farmer's market where you have your goods, no digital products back then. You had your goods. You might have your uh, apples. And someone comes and they check out your apples. They handle them. They ask you questions about them. You answer the questions. And the sale is made. And that is really, that is the ideal sales scenario because it's dynamic, it's in person, you can read body language, you can respond to someone's questions very quickly if you're the the product creator. Uh, But then that doesn't scale too well. So the question is, how do you do that at scale where it's not one-to-one, it's one-to-many? And and it's not, and it's beyond just doing that from a stage because you could do that from a stage and that happens still all the time. You have, uh, you might have a conference and then someone gives a pitch at the end. Um, but now how do you do that over a greater distance and also where it's not in real time, where it's uh, asynchronous and that's really where you need marketing. And so that's what I mean by marketing is selling at scale. It's, it's one to many and broadcast over a long distance and it can be read, it can be consumed really at, uh, at any time. And so, uh, so that's really how I see it. It's just an extension of the, the sales process. And it's done primarily through publishing, publishing some form of content, some form of communication, whether that's written or visual or audio or a combination. Billy, usually when I talk to designers, including myself, a lot of times the objection to that, like when it comes to like, and, and this might just turn into like a therapy 101, <laughs> is um, the objections would be something like, but Billy, you know, like I'm really good at talking in person, but this whole marketing thing kind of like scares me out. Like I'm not, I'm not good at that. Like I'm not good at like the online stuff. I'm not good at that. So what do you say to that? Yeah, you're going to find people who feel both ways about it. Some say that where they say, I'd much rather speak in person. I don't know about this online stuff. That's more of the classic sales mindset. You know, people from more uh, of an old school sales background, you know, what's all this, what's all this marketing stuff? What's all this digital marketing stuff? I'd rather just get me in a room with someone and I can, I yep. can sell them. I, I come across more of the, um, the other side where it's, Hey, I'm terrified of speaking to people of, of doing sales. I'd rather just sit at a computer and write something that leads to sales. That was more me. I, I was interested. I've always been interested in new ventures and technology and inventions, but I was never a, a very social person. I'm an introvert. Uh, I won't say I'm not social, but I, I'm not the type to go out and sell something. I I'm see. not like I'm not like Gary Vaynerchuk, where he was selling baseball yeah. cards, where he was constantly was out and about. Yeah, that was a norm. That would be totally weird for me or my friends to do. We were out playing baseball, not not selling baseball cards. So I was never that kind of an entrepreneur. Um, but I always liked to write. And when I realized that, oh, there's a thing called copywriting where you can do sales through writing at scale, that was really interesting to me. That is insane. And another thing that I learned um, through this journey, you know, having started the podcast also, um, I would fall in that bucket of people that 
are extrovert or good in one-on-one -on -one conversations, but definitely hesitant when it comes to like marketing um, or doing things at scale. And what I found, Billy, is that I spent so many hours or wasted would be the right word on focusing more on should I do Twitter? Should I do like email? Should I do like like the, the technique or the, the, the where to do it rather than as you say, like focusing on the words, um, have you have you faced this a lot? Because I know you consult a lot of clients and entrepreneurs, and you help them. Have you faced this dilemma while dealing while talking to them? Yeah, I think a lot of people when they hear the term marketing, they immediately go to channels, channels, platform, distribution. So Twitter, Facebook, SEO, pay per click, even direct mail, billboards are a medium. The radio is a medium. So the metaphor I like to use is think about those just as pipes. Those are pipes that carry a message. And if you look at it that way, you realize that there's some questions you have to answer first before choosing the pipes. One is, what is the message I'm putting out there? Because it doesn't matter if you choose the right pipe. If you're sending the wrong message through it, it's not going to resonate with the person on the other side. Uh, and then also, yeah, which pipe do you choose? Where, do, where does my audience hang out? And that's wow. an important question to answer. And even a objection or a question to that that you might get, and which I'm already gonna throw it uh, at you, go for it. Is um, Billy? I get this idea that okay, I have this message or something I want to share with the world, and then all these platforms are like pipes through which I send them. But what if the message I'm trying to send is already being sent by someone else? So an analogy would be, oh, I want to create another beer brewing course or something. But hey, somebody's already done that. So what would your advice be on that? That's usually a good thing. It's, oh, it's a, it's a good it's thing. A yeah. Well, you, because the most important thing is in s assuming that you're trying to sell a product or service, which is all I'm focused on right now in, in this conversation, it's a different, and I say that because these days that is often mixed in with the influencer business model. So I, and I don't know that I, like, I just don't know about that. Building a big audience on you'd become like building a big YouTube channel. That's really not my area. But if you want to sell a product or a service, and it can be a digital product like a course, uh, that's what I'm talking about. And it's a good thing if you see other people doing it, because that means that people are buying that type of product. Because what is normally the case, and I've spoken with hundreds of entrepreneurs, it's very difficult to sell a product. And what you and the reason it is is because a lot of people create a product that nobody wants. That there's just oh. not that that there's just not demand for, and it's kind of like an invention. You see these people go on uh, Shark Tank, and they come up with this amazing product. The technology is really cool, but they ask, "What are the sales?" And there's no sales of it. And you, there's and no amount of marketing in the world is going to overcome that. It's a tricky thing to figure out. And I recommend that entrepreneurs think of themselves more like inventors. So, is the product that you're creating your invention? Do people want it? And you really, and if you, if you get that right, then you can figure out all the other stuff. But if you don't figure that out, do not pass go. You're not, you're not going to get any further than that. This is mind blowing because usually the one way that to think about is like you want to be the first to market. You want to be the only one to sell that kind of um, specific uh, course. But then what I hear from you is so empowering because I'm like, oh, you know what? Because um, I felt this, like when I started my podcast, Billy, I was like, in a similar situation where I was like, oh, I'm not the first one to do a podcast. I'm super late. 
And then I got yeah. similar advice where someone said like, oh, that's a good sign that, you know, like people want to hear a podcast. So um, I think that's really insightful just to like see that if there's other people, the market is big enough to accommodate um, multiple players, so to speak, in that space. Totally. Yeah. And then the trick becomes differentiating yourself. So I think, of course, there's exceptions. You have the Steve Jobs types who are just so visionary. They come out with something where you couldn't figure that out just based on market research alone. That's the exception though. So set that aside. Don't try to be Steve Jobs or Henry Ford, but look for where there's demand, where customers are buying things and customers will switch. They'll switch products very quickly. So find that, find that uh, product that's being sold where there's demand for it and then put your own spin on it. Do something different. Take a different angle, different approach. And the differentiator, one of them would be finding the right words, the copywriting. I would say that's where you convey your difference is through the words, through the, and, and words. Yes. I would say more broadly, the message, which includes the words, the, uh, the design, the graphics, all of that. And Billy, you coach a lot of entrepreneurs that have amazing ideas, amazing product. You've coached our mutual friend, good friend, Abhinav and Chikara yeah. as well. So when you, when you come across these amazing entrepreneurs that have amazing ideas, have some sort of traction or, are 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 thinking about going there um what are some of the the frameworks that you really like help them correct like oh you know what you're in the right path but this small thing you know like if we just tweak that a little bit like what are some examples that come to mind for you yeah one you mentioned earlier about being more human in your copy and that's an important thing and and that can get you pretty far just being more authentic a lot of people put on their marketing hat when they go to create marketing material and they think they need to be, become something else. And they'll ask questions like, what's, what's the right thing to say? What's the script? What's the email template? And that stuff can help. It can, it can give you direction. Uh, but there's, there's really, a, it sounds kind of silly, but there really is nothing more powerful than honesty and authenticity in marketing. And it comes down to trust because you can tell when you read something when you read uh, some sales copy or a document, anything, if that person with their marketer hat on, their, their professional hat, someone trying to sound business-like, or if that's that real person, that's their real voice. We, just, we can sense that, right? You read uh, Warren Buffett's annual sales letter, or not annual, what is it called? Uh, annual letter to his shareholders. Yes. Uh, have you ever read those? Yes. Yeah, and it just it comes right through. And it's, it's a very formal type of document. You read all the other yeah. ones. They sound nothing like his, but when you read his, it sounds just like a personal conversation. It sounds like that letter was written right to you. And, uh, and so don't skip over that because that's really important and it's not as easy as people think. And it's just a matter of letting your guard down and be willing to be authentic and be a little bit vulnerable and let yourself shine through. And that is not easy for most people. And it takes a lot of practice. I'm thinking about this right now because uh, I had the pleasure of um, working with your client and now friend, Abhinav. Mm -hmm. And I remember vividly that um, for folks listening in, if you go to 10kdesigners.com, um, it's one of the, the top online design schools in India. So Abhinav's made the updates that you know you shared with him in your coaching calls. And I had seen the website before that which was more of like false in the traditional model. Like most people, when they try to sell courses, is usually like the product, 
benefits. And it's just like chunks. Like, oh, I got to like throw this on the wall. I got to throw this. I got to throw this. And that's usually where they end up. And then the after that I've seen also when he made your updates, which is more of like, it's like a story. Like he's telling a story, like how he got the idea to why he wanted to like teach people design in India. Um, and, and what are you going to walk away from it? What are the transformations? Like, what can you expect um, to, um, to, to see in yourself? Or what are you willing to gain because you're paying this amount? And, and, then, and the amount is not small either. So yeah. that kind of like narrative storytelling is just amazing. Can you like share like if you had to like, um, I mean, I know it's hard to like speak at high level, but like kind of that framework a little bit about that. I think a story is a good way to think about it because we're wired for stories. And what does a story have? It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Here's where I was. Here's what happened. And here's where I wound up. And so, and that fits very well into selling and to making a persuasive argument. So for someone like Abhinav, Here's where I was. And he talks about his backstory and what was going on and the need that he saw in the marketplace. Here's what happened. And this is sort of his, I couldn't find it. So I built it story. Yep. It wasn't, no one else was out there doing Nobody it. Nobody was, so I, yes. So I created it. I released it to the world. Here's what happened. I got these results for people. And now it's available to you. And it includes these modules and it includes support. And it includes yada, yada, yada. So there we go. So it's, it's the story. And, and the sales copy is woven into that story. But when you read it like that versus the way you were describing it before, here's the product, here's the benefits, like, like an engineer wrote it. Yes. Right. You know, or, or like, like you would see on a lot of product pages on Amazon or like a, like a Sears or a Macy's type of website for a shirt, right? Just the technical details. 100% cotton. Made in the U.S., 30-day refund policy. Boring, right? I know. And so, and so that's why you see in that example, a company like Jay Peterman, I don't know if you're familiar with that or your listeners are, they sell, they'll sell that same shirt as Macy's, but they'll, they'll tell a whole story around it. If you read the product copy on their website, it's 90% this story around this character that they came up with. And then the very bottom of that is 100% cotton, made in the U.S., 30-day refund policy. Um, so yeah, we're just wired to, to read and connect with stories. And Billy, if I may use an example, um, that's so in mind that I think about this, cause you know, you're talking about marketing and copywriting and storytelling. I think one of the examples of a company that does this at scale is Apple. Cause when you historically look at like windows computers, like on Dell website, it's usually, like you said, like you go to the website, there's like 16 different laptops and it's just like like rows of or, or tables of comparison, like i9 processor, i7 processor, uh, 16 gigs of RAM, um, 500 gigabits of storage. And you really have to be a nerd, like a, like a tech nerd to understand like what that means. But the average consumer is like, is i7 better? Is i5? And you look at Apple's website, it's like it never really touts just the, just the specs alone, but it says 64 gigs of RAM to help you handle multiple applications. So it kind of like talks about the functional benefit of it, like what it can do for you. And when I go to the website, it's always about like photos of what artists are able to do with the MacBook rather than this is what the MacBook is. 
And I find that to be so powerful. Like, here's what you can do if you buy this product versus these are the amazing things about this product. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, I have this, uh, this framework that I use to think about marketing communication, really all communication, and I call it what to say and how to say it. And it's, it's very simple, but you can say the same thing. You can say the same thing about that shirt, about the computers, the, the what is the same, the same thing you're trying to communicate, but the how is going to be different. And the how is where the, the beauty is. The how is where the romance is. It's, it's where the storytelling is. It's the difference between the Apple website and the Dell website. I mean, there's a reason why when movies come out, we don't just read the plot summary. True. Right. That, that, that's sort of like, right. That's, that's the equivalent of Dell's technical specs. Yeah. That's the, we watch the trailer. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, then, and then we go to the movie even, you know, and then, so the movie takes that skeleton, which is the plot. And it, it puts meat on the bones, right? There's, there's color associated with it. There's music, there's uh, visuals, there's, there's dialogue. And, uh, and a lot of people want to think that we're just robots. And when you're selling something to someone, you can just communicate to someone as if they're a computer and they can just download the information and process it. But that's, that's never been how humans have operated. We've always communicated important information through stories, always. So it's really... Uh, I don't know, not naive to think that we'd be anything different than that. If you look at the oldest stories uh, from the, the Bible to the, uh, the Torah, to the Quran, all the ancient religious texts, it wasn't just a manual on, on how to live. It wasn't like, okay, here's exactly what you should do. It was told through stories and those stories embedded the, the wisdom. So the stories were the how, the wisdom, the nugget of wisdom in each of those stories is uh, the what. Oh my God. So help me pronounce this word. I always get this wrong. You know that children's storybook, the Aesop's Tales? Um, yeah, Aesop's Fables. Aesop's yeah. Fables, yeah. So they have a lot of nuggets of wisdom, but it's always through the story of an animal, like a fox and the sheep and the lion. And, and I remember those like stories because of that. Um, and the wisdom was ingrained in it. But if it was just like, here's like hundred like timely like stories of like all, I don't know, forever applicable. I don't think I would yeah. have read it. No, no. And, uh, and that there's a reason why you remember those stories and you probably don't remember the technical specs of some product that you bought years ago. Wow. So figuring out basically what you want to say and then focusing on how to say it. Now, how does one drown out the noise? Because currently what's happening is the, the current like, advice, so to speak, one can glean is just everyone's just like, oh, create this mass following, create this like massive YouTube, Instagram and stuff. And, and really without even focusing on the messaging, I mean, I fell a victim to that too, where it's just, you're like, okay, just produce content, like get these followers. Um, and I think that's not really helpful because I don't know if you saw one of those like funny stories going around where this Instagram influencer had like a million followers and then they try to sell their own t-shirt or something and they could barely even make like $100 in sales because I don't even know if that audience connected with them and that really opened up my eye that, hey, I'd rather sell a product that has a genuine story even with a smaller following rather than build this mass following um, that's not even going to buy any of my products if that's the goal. Yeah, and, and 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 you nailed it with that last sentence there, if that's the goal. It depends on what your goal is. And you really have to get clear on that. And it can't just be, I want to make money. 
because there's all different ways to make money. Oh. So, for example, I'm not very big. I, I do training, consulting, coaching. I am not trying to monetize through being an influencer. Just not of, not of interest for me. I don't have an interest in having a big YouTube channel. I don't like being on social media all that much. Uh, I've, I've tried all the platforms. Uh, I, I don't have an interest in doing Instagram stories or anything like that. That excites a lot of people. And maybe, you know, Billy, when he was 20, would have been more into that. And, and, I, and I was more into that stuff. Like I said, I got into Twitter back then. So you have to figure out what kind of business you want to have. Do you like doing Instagram stories? Do you like doing YouTube and all that? Uh, if your goal is just to make money, that's definitely not your only option. There's, um, there's a guy, a famous copywriter, who started very successful, started launching his own brands, mainly in the health markets. And they have, I believe, a nine-figure company. Wow. So at least $100 million and up. And it's very difficult to find anything online about them. No it's, very, it's very, yeah, like no one even knows their brands. Unless you're their customer, you don't know about them. Oh my God. And, and it's like, why, that is, why is that? And it's because... They're very efficient. They don't, you don't know about them because they don't want you to know about them. Because if you know about them, they're wasting money because you're not their ideal customer. They're so oh. efficient. They, they, they buy ads and they're so efficient with their traffic and who they target that a large percentage of the people who see these ads buy. And if anyone's seeing the ad who's not a good fit, that's considered waste. So they would never just build an audience, this company, for the sake of building an audience. That'd be extremely wasteful. They start with the, the problem that they're solving, the product they want to sell, and then go out and find the perfect people and measure things very closely to make sure that they're reaching them. Now, that's not to say you should do that either, because a lot of people do, it depends on your goals, right? A lot of people do want to be visible. Like a lot of my clients, yes, they're selling a product, but they also want to publish a book one day. They want to do public speaking. They like the opportunities that they get from being public. So... It's more complex than people think. And Billy, I really think this is like um, <laughs> therapy with Billy going on because I'm just going to share some details. So I spent about a year also like thinking that that's the way to go. Try to build a following on Twitter and LinkedIn and try to do like YouTube. And, you know, um, and, and this advice was given to me by people who were successful doing it. And, you know, I did the whole thing like every week, I, every weekend I would do like a YouTube live stream and stuff. And to your point, the people who are successful or doing it maybe enjoy this way more than I did because I felt I was miserable. Like I'm like old school, man. Like I don't like I don't like on social media that much. Like sometimes I'm like, what am I like? I mean, I do like the benefits, but I don't I realized that my heart wasn't in um growing that following, but my heart was on this connection that we're having right now, that building relationships and that one on one. That's where I felt like I really enjoyed it. And, and I really realized that I was in the wrong business. Like my goal that I had set out for me was let's like build an audience, let's monetize that. But I realized my heart wasn't there. And, you know, I realized like there's a better way for me to make money by actually having a, a nine to five job, which lets me give me the freedom to then have these conversations with you without the whole thing of like how many downloads is going to get. Like is, is this going to become like number yeah. one on the you know, podcast list or how much money I'm going to make. All those conversations went away. And to your point, I had to have that honest conversation. Like, am I doing it because so-and-so people that I know are doing it or because your friends or clients, Tiago, 
uh, David Perel are doing it. I'm like, oh, they're doing it. I, uh, you know, I should do it too. Um, without realizing that, is that something I really wanted to do? So that was a really like eye-opening thing for me to realize. Um, and even now for me, what really gets me excited about the podcast is this one-on-one conversation. Although in disclaimer, I do have to say that even though I don't focus so much on marketing, the one thing I did luck out on is the name and the SEO. Like design MBA is like a thing a lot of designers search for apparently. Yeah. So having that name and then creating transcripts for this does bring in a lot of inbound um, organic traffic, so to speak. So SEO is great. I um, my beer site I was saying earlier it brought that brought me a ton of traffic over the years. So yeah, kudos to you. So yeah, that was just like a rant, like just me getting it off my chest because like just hearing you talk about like, um, like is this even the thing you want to monetize? Is this, is this something even you want to continue doing? And then the point you said like there's better ways to make money. So have you ever had that conversation with like upcoming creators and stuff where you had to tell them like, Hey, you know what? Like you've got this cool idea, but you know, like there's other easier ways for you to make money than do this. That's a good conversation we're having. I, I, th- I think that, uh, I think the modern generation could really benefit from studying sales by reading sales books, books about selling. I think that we've sort of lost that and we're caught up in the social media influencer world. And that's, again, that's fine for some people who really know what they're getting into and enjoy that. But I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people just want to sell a good product they believe in and they'll, and they'll, they're, they're willing to do the, the media thing. Like, like, just like I'm willing to come on a podcast and speak and, uh, and, and I do, I write an email newsletter. I'll do some videos from time to time, but I, I know what I offer. I have, a, I have a business, it's a business and that's. And I have my business life. I have my, my personal life. Uh, I have my spiritual life. I have my, um, you know, I focus on physical fitness. Uh, I, I play music, right? They're all in different departments. And, um, and I think a lot of people who get caught up in the social media and influencer thing, it just, it consumes everything and that becomes their whole life. Yep. And, uh, and I, I don't want to put myself at risk of that. So that's another thing too. It's like, I'm not beyond falling prey to that. And if I were to go into that and try to become an influencer, I, I think it, I think it corrupts a lot of people, and I don't even want to mess around with that. That's so deep because I don't know if you recall, but in one of our very early conversations, I had asked you like, Billy, you've got this like amazing niche of clients that you have. Why not become like this global behemoth? Start like a billion dollar company out of what you're doing. And I think I remember if I'm correct, the words you said is, "I don't want to do that. I know that I'm happy with what I have." and I think that awareness is so rare, like knowing that, yes, I could get this other thing out there, but I'm happy where I am and, and, and I'm not, I'm not willing to pay that price to get there. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, the ultimate life hack, right. Is to, to, to have enough with what you have right now. Oh my God. And, and without turning this into a whole spiritual, like, uh, or like self-help thing, um, one thing where this really helped me is like one of my friends that I hang out with, he's really like fit. Like when I say fit, he's like really um, like shredded. Like he's got those six pack mm-hmm. abs, the washboard abs. And uh, having been a good friend, I've seen what he eats. I've seen him weigh even the tiniest amount of fruit on like the small weighing scale. Um, and that's the price he pays um, to maintain that, that physique that he wants. And I realized like as much as this is aspirational by social media, like, oh, it's kind of nice to have like, you know, like this, um, I don't know, like, like that, that selfie or something where 
you can see those glistening abs and stuff. Um, but at the same time, I realized that Billy, I'm not willing to pay that price that, you know, like I want on the weekend, just eat a cookie for God's sake. I want to be able to eat that cookie, maybe three or four of those instead of worrying about the calories. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have to, uh, you know, choose the sacrifices that, uh, we're willing to make. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that's how I would look at it. If, if your goal is to, like I said earlier, just sell a product or a service that you believe in and you enjoy, and you enjoy delivering with people that you, um, enjoy working with, start with that and then layer on the social media if you want, uh, as it supports that. But I wouldn't just start with the social media. I'll take that back. It can be beneficial if that's the thing that's going to get you started. So what kind of trumps all this is just getting started and doing something. Not so much getting the business model right out of the gate, not getting it perfect out of the gate, but you have to get some momentum before you can change course. And I, and I, I kind of started going down that route. I was doing YouTube in 2008. So I could have built up a pretty big YouTube channel by now. Yeah, on, it was on super, beer, super early. Yeah. On beer brewing. Um, but I just, I didn't enjoy it. You know, I didn't feel very connected to the people in the comments. I was much more connected to my email list and I, and I prefer writing. And frankly, it's a pain in the butt to produce video it and, is. And like it, take, versus I'd rather, I'm, I'm lazy. I'd rather just spend 20 minutes knocking out an email versus 20 hours doing a whole video series. So that was part of it as well. And Billy, you don't have any regrets because someone could say that, oh my God, Billy, you were in YouTube in 2008. Like, oh my God, you could have started on anything and you would have become like super famous now. So, um, so you're at peace oh. with that now. Oh, I, I have no desire to be famous. No. <laughs> when you said that, I was like recoiled. I was like, I don't want to be famous. And I, <laughs> if, I, if I become well known for something that I create, that's really valuable. Uh, awesome. But. I think it's important to separate in your audience for, I think, understand this, the art from the artist. And so I want my art to be very valuable and to be something that really helps people. And I want people to value that, but not so much be attached to me. Right. If I'm the guy that created it, great. But I think that becomes a problem in, in a lot of cases where people don't make that separation and, and even the person themselves, they don't make that separation. And then, um, and then people start to idolize them. And then what happens? They turn out to not be this perfect person. Something comes out about them. Yes. And then they throw out the whole, the baby with the bathwater. It's like, no, everyone is flawed. Don't expect anyone to be perfect. But let's look at their art separate from the artist. That is insane, Billy. And how can, you know, designers listening to this, if they want to just like, um, is there a website they can go to, to like, get an idea about some of your free courses or just get better at like, um, marketing, where can they go or where can they find yeah, you? Yeah. I, I don't have any free courses. I, I talk about marketing a lot in my newsletter at billybrost.com, uh, B I L O Y B R O A S.com. And then I, what I think could help them is this, uh, new messaging framework that I've worked on for the past few years. And I'm just now publishing more about it's been behind closed doors in my programs. Uh, it's called the five light bulbs and you can get to that from, the number five lightbulbs.com. And so the reason I created it is really because so many of my clients, including myself, were overwhelmed by marketing because you get confused about the message and the channels like we were talking about earlier. What's the difference? Um, I went upstream of those channels and said, okay, let's get the core messaging in place first. And then we can distribute it through these different marketing channels. But we need a framework to figure out what that core message needs to be 
And that's what the five light bulbs are. They're the, the five check boxes you need to check on your core messaging. And it can work for any type of product or, or service. Awesome. I'm going to link to that messaging framework in the show notes. So folks, if you're listening, you can check it out. I just want to say, Billy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, you do a great job with this podcast. Keep it up. Thank you. If you made it this far, you are what I call a Design MBA super fan. And I've got a gift for you, my super fan. Head over to designmba.show where you will find my email address. Email me one thing you learned from this podcast episode and I will get on a 30-minute call with you and help you in your career goals. See you in the next episode.